Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where we explode! No! We don't explode. We're actually very measured. Oh. Calm. And professional. I don't really have a sound effect for that. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic for The Rap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I write for Slash Film. Ooh. And uh, I don't have a nickname, but that's okay. It is okay. And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, it's actually a bit of a lean week for us. Usually we try to see as many films as humanly possible, but this last week, as you may have heard in some of our other podcasts, if you listen to all of them, uh, we were sick. I had COVID, and then uh, coincidentally, Whitney had COVID. Completely unrelated circumstances. Completely unrelated. Not in any way connected Hmm. What's around? I'm sorry, I probably gave you COVID. Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't. Yeah. Resent anything. Here. We we uh, might have got we, it at the same dealt... screening or something. Like these things happen, but it's probably got it from Look, me. We yeah. we yeah. we. We've tested. We both tested negative. We're, we're okay. both on the other side of it. Yeah, we're fine. Um, and now we get to find out what the lo- long-term effects of this thing are. <laughs> uh, we're vaccinated, though. It was reasonably mild for both yeah, of us, was, so we I did was, the best we could. I was vaccinated. I was yeah. also boosted, uh, yeah. so yeah, my symptoms were incredibly mild. Thank you for the kind wishes, everybody who tweeted at us, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know that means a lot. But we're fine, and so but, we're going to get through. But uh, as a result, we weren't able to go to screenings this last week. So yeah. we've missed out on a lot of the things that are in theaters. Especially uh, things that were theatrical only, like Bullet Train. That's the number one movie of the weekend. Normally we try to see the number one movie of the weekend no matter what. Uh, and we just couldn't this yeah, time. Couldn't Sorry about it. that. And um, an A24 film came out called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yeah. Which I really wanted to see and just wasn't able to see because I couldn't go to the screenings. There were only uh, uh, theatrical screenings. Some places yeah. don't really do online screenings. Some mm-hmm. places are more cool about sending off uh, screeners. Oh, so yeah, uh, we only saw two films apiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Prey. We both saw the new film in the Predator series. Uh, and uh, Whitney saw uh, a new film called They Slash Them. That's right. It's a horror movie on Peacock. And I saw a new film called I Love My Dad starring Patton Oswalt. So we'll be reviewing those three, and we'll miss a couple of the big ones, but it's we'll try a, to catch up. A, a bit of a light week, but we do want to provide you with something. Indeed. Uh, and and, and we, indeed, I think even though Bullet Train is number one at the box office, the only film I see people talking about this <laughs> week is Prey. Well, it's difficult to get a line because, you know, we, we all run in different circles. People True. talking about different stuff. There may be circles out there that are all about bullet trains. I'm not pretending uh, that I have my finger on the pulse of every community, but mm-hmm. in my own community... Prey has been dominating the conversation, mm-hmm. so let's talk about right. Prey. Prey. Prey is a, a new it's... film from Dan Trachtenberg, who previously directed the film Ten Cloverfield Lane, starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman. It's pretty good. It's a survivalist horror mm-hmm. movie where uh, yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is put in a, a survivalist bunker, yeah. an, an underground bomb shelter, yeah. with uh, John Goodman and some other people. And John Goodman, he's the one who built the bunker. Mm-hmm. He's the one who has all the food, and, and he claims he they might... can't leave, but we they have no way of knowing whether or not yeah, that's that, true. There, and so, yeah, there's a lot of suspicion as to whether or not he's mm. telling the truth. And his... Oh, excuse Ooh, me. Careful. I'm hitting things. Uh, he, he, I think his story is that there are space aliens. Something to that effect, So, like, yeah. there's something really, like, extraordinary And, like, outside. and like people have, like... There's, like, uh, the whole air outside is toxic and you die within yeah, like, minutes you'll if you melt laugh. if you breathe it. And that, yeah. that's a pretty good movie. So, yeah, so basically... And then the situation becomes so abusive and untenable that they have to... Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has to weigh the possibility, is it more dangerous to go outside or is it more dangerous to stay inside? Mm. Um, That is a movie that has grown on me over time. At the time, 
I really admired it, and I still think John Goodman should have been nominated for an Oscar for that movie. He's fantastic <laughs> in that movie. I mean, he's he's good in everything. That's true, but, uh, but if he was going to be nominated for anything, it would be that, The Big Lebowski, or Barton Fink. Yeah. Those are the three, if you ask me. Should have been nominated for all three. Um, mm. But I had an issue with the ending, and it's not so popular a movie I feel comfortable just talking about the ending. Yeah. But I had an issue with the way that they handled a big reveal. Mm. And initially, I thought it kind of undermined the premise. And the more I think about it, the more I realize that the movie probably was focusing on a different theme that I was really focusing on. Well, and it, it kind of does work, although I it, think maybe it, it would have liked it better the other way. There's but a that's little bit preference, of a, a, really. a deliberate bait and switch that was a little too effective. Maybe. Uh, and uh, yeah, there, there's some. There's this really bizarre uh, symbolism at the end, which yeah. doesn't doesn't play so well. I, I, uh, the but, more I think about it, though, the more I think mm-hmm. it works better than I originally thought it yeah. did. So I I, I'm, I am quite fond of it. I think he's very, very talented. Um, and indeed, his next movie, it took him a few years, but uh, his next movie is a film of the Predator sequer, uh, sequels, sequers, series? Sequeries. Sequeries. Um, uh, it's, it's the seventh Predator movie, but don't worry about that. Uh, because <laughs> Prey is actually a far more effective film uh, without prior knowledge of yeah. of a Predator. There's, I will, there's I will a say few this. Yeah. Uh, visual references, mm-hmm. uh, but this film is good enough about communicating what a lot of the things that the Predator does mm-hmm. means in this context yeah. without you having to know what he did in a previous movie to know what's going on here. And, and of course, it's a different Predator every single time, I yeah. think. I'm, I'm maybe Aliens versus Predator. I think there's like one holdover, but... Uh, yeah, so the Predator movies are actually like mostly disconnected from each other. They're their own little mm. uh, uh, stories. And I, the greatest compliment I can give uh, uh, like a horror franchise sequel is that if this was the first film in the series, it would have spawned a franchise. Like it's oh, like yeah, it stands yeah, on its, its own. It's incredibly effective. It remembers what it's about. Mm. It tells that story really, really well. And you, it would it might help if you'd seen some of the other movies because there's a few distinct but not very important references mm. to other stuff, and you might go like, "Oh, I get it." Yeah. But you don't need it. And if you'd never seen another Predator movie, and the first Predator movie you saw was Prey, mm. you would totally get it, and it would be fucking awesome. <laughs> um, I I have I long ago lost my patience with sequels that. Uh, Assume that uh, an audience going into a sequel knows not, everything. Not only, uh, yeah, not only knows everything about these mm. previous movies, but cares very deeply about little details from previous movies. Mm. This is the Star Wars effect. Yeah. People watch Star Wars so many times that now they're making whole movies based on single lines of dialogue that were just yeah. said in a movie. But because people had watched these movies so many times, every detail. Yeah. Uh, there's no incidental big, detail yeah. in anyone's there's life. Not a, every Han moment Solo, is a big moment. Han Solo mm. didn't just go out and buy a gun someday because he's a criminal and he needed one. Mm. It had to be given to him and it's super important. And yeah, like the, every why, single why thing. The gun, why is the gun important? It's every not. single thing people wear, mm. use, every single thing they've ever touched or interacted with has to have an important backstory to them that is alluded to in the past and it drives me up the wall mm. when Star Wars does this because that's almost all it does now. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's I, all I, just references to things that happened in previous I, I movies. I can handle it to an, a point. Like, once in a while, it's kind of cute. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. That tracks. That was from yeah. here. Well, but but, like, but you, once in a while, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if, if then, it's, it's, then it's like fun. It's like an Easter egg. Like, yeah, it's oh. like a, a, a cute little reference for somebody. Like, yeah. there was a scene in... Um, uh, uh, um, 
uh, The Force Awakens, mm. where uh, they're on. That's a lot of nostalgia stuff. It's like, True. oh, we're going to use the the same ship again. And yeah, there's a moment in where I feel like if there was only just this moment, uh-huh. it would have been fine. Where um, uh, John Boyega is digging through like a, a chest of stuff, like he's uh-huh. looking for something in a big chest of junk. Yeah, and he pulls out this little gray sphere and just sort of throws it aside. Yeah, and that was Star a little Wars, training module. Yeah, that like Luke it was, used it's this little four, yeah, this yeah. little floating thing that shot lasers. Yeah. If if like just that. Yeah, just that moment just, had been included. It's, it's it, just putting around in a drawer in a drawer somewhere, and it means nothing to John Boyega. Yeah, so and we recognize it real fast, like, like, oh, and yeah, nope, a moment's like, oh, that's cute, and that's all we want. Yeah, it's that's, just that's all that's rummaging needed. through a junk drawer. Uh, that's all there is to it. I, I feel like uh, you can't do that with the Predator series because mm-hmm. the myth of the Predator is incredibly thin. Yeah, there's not a lot going on with the Predator. Uh, in and fact, which, in fact, the movie The Predator is mm-hmm. the one that tried to add a lot of mythos to it mm-hmm. and that's a big part of the reason why that movie doesn't work because every single time they try to explain the very thin concept here's the concept of the predator alien species comes to earth on the weekends once in a while <laughs> to hunt much like someone so, might like take a weekend off mm-hmm. from work and the family go out with a couple of guys put on orange vests shoot a couple of defenseless animals and go home. Mm. Predators, they have overpowered weaponry. They go to planets with nowhere near as much uh, uh, people Technolo- who... No, there's no technology. P- people who really can't fight back very well. Mm. And then they take a couple of pot shots and they go home. And every single time, they pick the wrong guy. So then it turns into an Elmer Fudd situation mm. where the Predator is Elmer Fudd <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. or Danny Glover or well, Adrian Brody or Amber Midthunder in this or, one. And, yeah, uh, and they're Bugs Bunny mm. and they're like the rabbit who kills the hunter. And uh, the films are always very good about showing how dangerous mm. they are and they kill a lot of people. There's and a lot then, of cool stuff. And I think Predator, but then they, uh, Predator but 1 then they is amazing. their prey. Yeah, Predator 1 is amazing. Predator 2 is a fun monster movie. Predators mm. is a fun monster I movie. I really like Predators. It's uh, pretty it's, solid. I rewatched it recently. Yeah, there's there's some there's some sort of hackneyed archetypal character writing, but I don't mind that in it, that it, movie. It's not it's, the end of the world. It's not it's, it just would have been a little better for maybe they weren't a little bit more interesting, so yeah, the, but the only real uh <sighs> sort of thematic run we have through these Predator movies mm-hmm. and they it's not really all that solid. Hmm. Uh, the The first one takes place in... I, I don't think they name what country it is. <laughs> I, uh, memory it's... serves, it was supposed to be... Uh, I think in, in Predators, hmm. they actually... I think they say it was Guatemala. Oh, but yeah. I think, but, but, they, but that's a retcon. But that's a yeah. retcon because if memory serves, it's a, it's a it Central was, American nation. Well, if mem- this is actually a fun little bit of trivia. If memory serves, it was there was one Central American country, a fictional one, oh, that right. they used in a lot of different movies whenever okay. they wanted to do like something in that area and they didn't S- want to piss anyone Sengala off. Or whatever, it was called yeah. Costa Verde. <laughs> Costa Verde. Costa Verde was the country from Commando, hmm. and I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the country in Predator as well, and it showed up oh, in a couple yeah. other movies. Co- Costa yeah. Verde. Okay, so yeah. it's a, a nondescript, yeah. non-existent it's like when, Central American it's like, it's like Gotham City or Latveria. It sounds yeah. real enough, and we just move on. Uh, the, uh, the, the plot of the movie is, like, the manliest men possible, these army guys the going, Predator, uh, yeah. in the original Predator, go yeah. into... Uh, Costa Verde yeah. uh, on a, a rescue mission if I recall mm-hmm. and while and they are o- over armed they have way more bullets than they need for this mission and it's very very violent and they fire a lot of bullets uh, it looks like a war zone it's like they're actually like in- instigating a, a battle and that's no it's not Costa Verde it's Val Verde 
Oh, I looked me. that up. That's on me. That's one hundred percent. I know I said oh, that. Right. I know I said that wrong in a recent podcast or something too. All right. It's called Valverde. That's Val the fictional Verde. country. Apologies. Uh, that uh, incidentally, that'll be my uh, adult film name. <laughs> I will be Valverde. Um, nice. The creature uh, has like an invisibility cloak. Like mm-hmm. it kind of move and you can kind of see it shimmering, but you can, if it's hold still, you can't really see it. Um, and it hunts people where there's violence already happening. Mm. That's the the thing that's happening in, in the first Predator. And the second yeah. one, uh, it's set in the near future in Los Angeles. It's been like 1997. And yeah. the movie was in like 1991 or 92, mm. so it wasn't even that far. Yeah, and uh, there's like a heat wave, and like in RoboCop, crime has just exploded. There's just mm-hmm. outward, out, out and out gang wars in the streets, and people mm-hmm. are fighting. And that's where the... Uh, the predator decides to hunt. He decides to hunt in Los Angeles and he takes out a bunch of like criminals with guns. The only comment I can really glean from that is crime has gotten so bad. It's indistinguishable from war. Yeah. Uh, Which is not not very deep, but it's fine. Yeah. So that, that's why the predator went there, I guess. The first predator is very, very, it's almost completely satirical in a lot of ways. And the way that it builds up all of the familiar macho action tropes of the era films, you would stuff you would find in movies like commando. And then undermines it because all the tough guys get killed by the Predator. I've said mm. before, it's like a slasher movie where all the victims are jocks. Yeah. Uh, which is totally fine. But the second movie doesn't have any meaningful commentary to it at all other than like really baseline stuff. It's basically just a monster movie in Los Angeles. Mm. But I enjoy the hell out of that movie. They <laughs> actually make it really fun. It, it, it's pretty over the top. Gary Busey plays yeah. the NS... Or he's let's, <clears throat> the like, CSI, CSI guy. guy. And... Like, he's the guy who's tracking the, the, yeah, the, the alien. He knows what's going they're, on. They're some really wonderful interviews with Gary Busey that are completely unhinged mm. uh, on the set of Predator 2. I'll bet, yeah. Where he talks about, like, well, wh- why is this guy obsessed with the Predator? And he's talking about, well, they have, like, knowledge of the fabric of the universe, man. And, like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Nice. Uh, then many years passed. Um, mm. I f- Predator 2 Predator, didn't do great. Yeah, so Predator like 2 just... was, wasn't, it was kind of a bomb. It was, didn't get great yeah. reviews. It's It's been reassessed a little bit. Uh, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's a completely it's just, watchable movie. Predator is just one of those movies where the character is iconic, but they really had trouble cracking the movie series. And for years, Predator was mostly seen in comics and video games. Yeah. And uh, then, Dark Horse yeah. Comics. Yeah. Uh, their stock and trade was buying the comic book rights to uh, known characters. Yeah. So there were RoboCop comics mm-hmm. and Terminator comics, and they, they did all the Star Wars comics. For a long time, and, uh, then yeah, Marvel and they, did. But they yeah. also had uh, Alien. Actually, first Marvel had them, then Dark Horse, then Marvel again. But, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, Dark Horse had him for a second. Oh, for a long uh, time, yeah. And uh, they also had Alien, based on the Ridley Scott movie, and mm-hmm. they had Predator, based on the John McTiernan movie, and it was Dark Horse who first thought, hey, why don't we just start throwing these people together? So they it, they were the ones who kind of conceived of Alien versus Predator, and the Alien versus Predator notion became so popular that they made movies out of that. Mm. Uh, Alien versus Predator was made by Paul... Paul W.S. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really stupid. It's fun if you're nine. It's, it's like, uh, it, yeah, it has it's, it's that the matinee kind of, version. It's, yeah, it's, it's it PG 13. It's not as violent. If, if it's Predator kind of silly. is, if Predator Nothing is, makes sense in the movie. If Predator is John Milius's Conan, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Uh-huh. Alien vs. Predator is Conan the Destroyer. Like, it's <laughs> it's just cheaper and sillier, mm. and it gets a lot of things wrong if you were paying attention. But I rewatched it recently. I used to hate that movie. Mm. I rewatched it recently, and there are things that drive me nuts about it where it's just like, you really didn't 
have to rewrite the rules of the monsters to make this movie. <laughs> you just kind of did it arbitrarily, and yeah, it's this... annoying because it's clearly fan service, so you're doing mm-hmm. things that are distracting to fans, which is weird. But if you accept it as its own thing, it's almost a PG-13 movie. Like, it's violent. I think it still is an R, but it feels it, PG-13. It, it has an R rating. If you look it up, it says, like, there's an R rating for slime. I remember yeah. that. Um, <laughs> but, like, it feels uh, less violent mm-hmm. and, like... But it's a reasonably entertaining movie. It, it's just not very good. It ha- yeah, it's it's like it's pretty cheap. It, it was a major step stuff. down for the Alien franchise. It was about plateau yeah. for, <laughs> for, for, for Predator yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, if if you want to see if all you want to see is those monsters fighting uh, yeah. the Alien from Predator and the Alien from Alien, just, you'll get it. You'll get it. Uh, yeah. a- alien versus regular size Alien. Uh, uh, predator versus Queen Alien. Yeah. Uh, you get to see the Queen on, Alien like off. running around. Yeah. It's like the size of a T Rex now, which I'm pretty sure is not how big that thing was. But it was oh well. Big, but yeah. I don't think it was T Rex size in Aliens, man. Uh, I feel like yeah. it was. But and neat it, though. It's kind of it, cool. And it know? takes place in like the. Uh, uh, an Aztec pyramid in this. Anyway, it doesn't really. I, I, I'm going to do the Antarctic. So I'm going to do something a little gauche. I'm going to uh, uh, read to you. I recently did an article. Hmm. Uh, you ranked them. I ranked the Alien and Predator movies because there's a new right. one. And when Alien versus Predator came out, they just basically became intertwined. Uh, I'm going to read to you the listing hmm. I wrote for Alien versus Predator, and then which the film that immediately followed it on my ranked list, uh, Prometheus. In Alien vs. Predator, the aging head of the Wayland Corporation assembles an expert team to investigate a mysterious ancient structure containing evidence of aliens who interfered with human history only to unleash monsters that kill them all. In the hands of director Paul W.S. Anderson, the story yields a ridiculous but reasonably entertaining monster movie where the plot makes no sense, the mythology makes no sense, and the characters make no sense, but at least the fights are cool. And I see and where you're going with this. For yeah. Prometheus. In Prometheus, the aging head of the Wayland Corporation mm-hmm. assembles an expert team to investigate a mysterious ancient structure containing evidence of aliens who interfered with human history only to unleash monsters that kill them all. In the hands of director Ridley Scott, that story yields a ridiculous but reasonably entertaining monster movie where the plot makes no sense the mythology makes no sense and the characters make no sense but at least the production design is cool <laughs> it's weird uh, how yeah. similar those movies are uh, and <clears throat> during the production of prometheus from what i understand and this yeah. is just hearsay but uh, yeah. somebody pointed out to uh, ridley scott that who, there were similarities uh, well that uh, he invented the uh, the character of wayland which yeah. uh, was the name of the company that well, the original characters worked. For it was him, actually uh, Wayland Utani. They didn't say that until Alien Resurrection. Wait, what? Are you sure? I am positive that might have been something established in like extra canonical canonical stuff. Like maybe it was like uh, in the director's guy. I, I could have sworn. But they, they didn't say Wayland Utani on, in on in a movie okay. until Alien Resurrection. I believe you. All right, but in any case, initially it was the Wayland Corporation, mm. and so yeah, so he put Mr. Wayland in Prometheus, played by Guy Pierce, but. Paul Thomas Anderson had already done that. He'd be played by Lance Henriksen yeah, yeah. from Aliens. Fun. Uh, so you, you kind of ignore the Alien versus Predator movies when it comes to the canon and either. Well, uh, Ridley Scott ignored yeah. almost all the canon, except for the first Alien anyway. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like fine. It's, it's just, just funny. Wanted... Anyway, I, Alien... I, I really dig Prometheus. Um, I know you do. Alien, Alien versus Predator was followed by Aliens versus Predator, which sucks. A- Alien... The full title of, of the movie was AVP... Colon Alien versus Predator. That was and then the original the sequel. Predator, yeah. Was AVPR colon Aliens versus Predator hyphen Requiem. 
uh, which is a big old mouthful, and it's an even worse movie. It has terrible production design. The, there's the, it's, it's the cinematography aliens. really that kills it because it's, it's so yeah, darkly lit it's, you can't see yeah, what's going on. Like even if you turn the brightness up on your television, you can't see what's going on in that mm. movie. And it takes place on modern day Earth. It's the mm. only movie uh, in the Alien series to do that, and it's not very interesting. It's just no, it's basically a small town with what, these what, creatures. What if the monsters it feels like ended a up in version of things? It, it actually feels like what they're trying to do was like an Amblin movie where here's mm. like a small town where everyone has their own storylines and then monsters attack uh none of the characters are interesting none of the subplots are interesting none of the dialogue is interesting there's a couple of really fucked up things that happen in it Mm. there's a scene in a hospital which is easily the most disgusting thing that happens in either an alien or predator movie Mm. like it is so fucked up that i know people who are like really into gory movies who went you know what that's too far that's not that's that's (laughs) not even fun anymore that's just fucked up uh, but you can't even like enjoy it because you can't see it. It's just mm. really hard to look at. It's a it's a mm. very you know there's a lot of movies that are bad not because they're incompetent but just because they don't do good things. Uh, this one's actually incompetent. <laughs> like it's it's, it's almost <laughs> it's refreshing like to be able to badly, point to it. It's like you, just, you can't see it. Mm. Like it's not and it doesn't like, feel like a clever like mysterious choice. Where like oh are all they're all in shadow. It's like the end of Alien where you can't even see the alien in the background because yeah, yeah. it's in shadow. That's an intentional choice. This feels like it's just too dark. Hmm. I and, don't know and, why. And we're talking about it because it's a problem. It actually it affects the movie. Yeah. Uh, then a couple years later, uh, a filmmaker named Nimrod Antal, who I actually mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. made Predators, mm-hmm. plural. Uh, and, uh, based on, a, I think, a story that was co-written by Robert Rodriguez. Okay. Uh, and, and the uh, premise of that one is a bunch of humans are dropped off on a planet that's not Earth. Yeah. They, they, They're they basically wake, brought to a game preserve. Yeah. Uh, the, the film opens with Adrian Brody coming to out of consciousness while he's plummeting from the sky. Yeah. Pretty fun opening. And uh, he and a... And a Pretty cool cast. I've got Walton Goggins, Mahershala Ali before he won a bunch of Oscars, uh, Alice Braga, Topher Grace, Danny Trejo, Lawrence Fishburne. Cool cast. And uh, as they communicate, we learn that they're all like dangerous criminals back on Earth. And and, like they they were all incarcerated. And they have been scooped up by, presumably by the Predators, to be hunted on this planet. Yeah. And there are multiple Predators and they have a Predator dog. Yeah. And uh, and that's a pretty fun premise. Because, it's a very fun cause premise because the, the heroes are not bad guys. It's it's very simplistic, a little mm. slightly to a fault. Not every there's it's too big a cast for the characters to all stand out. Yeah, I think that's a that's a problem. Well, I, I mean, also you think, need a lot of human meat to slice up. So yeah. I, I'm I'm okay with. I that. also think they kind of did themselves. Like I realize it's I'm sure it's a budgetary issue, but I always felt like it was a bit of a missed opportunity. To do a predator store with people on an alien planet that just happens to look like a jungle you'd find here on Earth. Like, can we maybe have some, like, purple alien plants or, or, like, some weird other animals or whatever like that that could be dangerous? Like, can we we have fun with that? Because it feels like you're not having fun with that. It's a really similar movie called Riddick uh, with uh, Vin Diesel, which did that. It takes place on an alien world, and it looks like an alien world. Like, they actually went out of their way to make things look a little strange. Yeah. Uh, He he befriends a a dog, but it's like an alien dog. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. Uh, then a few years thereafter, uh, Shane Black, who acted in the first movie and was hired as an actor specifically so he could do brush up on set. Yeah, like you're here. You want to just uh, do, take a crack at some of the dialogue? That's allegedly yeah, so, what happened. Uh, this is something that Shane Black has alleged. So yeah. he's, he's said this out loud. I know. Uh, and uh, he wrote and directed this one. And I like Shane well, Black. He, he co-wrote did, it uh, with Fred Decker, who Shane Black had written the screenplay for The Monster Squad. 
yeah, for yeah, yeah. Fred Decker directed so, that one, so they just kind of flipped duties. Mm. So yeah, yeah. They, uh, Shane Black and Fred Decker wrote it. Shane Black directed it, and it is the pit. It's so it's, bad. It's so it's bad, and I I don't really know what he was trying to go for. Everybody's a little too flip and funny. Mm. The the ostensible group of heroes is. Mm. Uh, Mental a group, patients, a bunch, uh, a yeah. bunch of soldiers with PTSD and in, mm. in, in various ways. Uh, Thomas but, Jane, I think, has Tourette's if memory serves. Th- Thomas Jane is Keegan in it. Michael Keegan Michael Key is yeah. in it, and they. Uh, uh, Travante, uh, I think Stravante Rhodes in that one. I think I, I could be I, wrong. I, yeah, um, sure. Really good cast again, but like yeah, they it, got, uh, Olivia Munn played the professor, mm-hmm. uh, and Jake Busey this, got to play Gary Busey's son, which is cute because he is. Isn't that yeah. funny? Isn't that uh, cute? Yeah. The. Um, not only is it horribly written, not only yeah. are they trying to expand the mythology, like the, the predators are preparing for an, a super predator of some kind. What happens, and, uh, the, the plot of that is the predators only come to Earth when it's hot. So as we've been like doing climate change, predators have been coming more. Maybe the predators are responsible for it a little bit. And they're also using human DNA to like, they're trying to get the best fighting DNA mm. so that they can make themselves super predators with human DNA. And they think maybe they finally cracked the way to become the ultimate super predators by taking <sighs> DNA from an autistic kid, mm. which is really messed up in a yeah, lot they, of different uh, ways. They, they really didn't the, think that shit through. The movie thinks that uh, trauma gives you superpowers mm. and that autism no, is a superpower no, as they, well. The movie thinks that autism gives you superpowers and trauma makes you weak and at the end of the movie the solution to everyone's problem everyone mm. with widely varying mm. mental health issues the solution is quote man up yeah uh, m- fuck more you or less. movie um, like seriously it's really fucked up there's a way and the first predator could play like a satire of those like big burly men mm. and if he were trying to satirize something mm. like clearly trying to satirize something maybe that film would have worked and but, maybe uh, that's what they were getting at I, it's my understanding there was quite a bit of studio interference on okay. that like the ending changed a few times there's a twist ending yeah, sort so of at the end which is stupid it's entirely possible that he was trying to do that again and maybe. it just didn't read but maybe what we, what we got is a terrible film yeah and the so, action isn't uh, that good it's no. really silly and doesn't work the predator and now we yeah. are back to uh forgetting about predators now we're just going with prey and uh yeah. good good idea for a title by mm. the way makes it seem new that, that without... the first time it should have been predator 2 it should have been called prey but yeah, uh, that makes sense or or, or uh, uh time to bleed because <laughs> that line ain't got time to bleed ain't got time to bleed that would have been good uh, Going back very briefly to the Dark Horse comics era, um, mm. they explored a lot of fun and interesting things in Dark Horse comics throughout the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and one of their gimmicks with the Predator was just set it in different historical periods. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's one where Predator fights pirates on a pirate ship. Cool. Uh, here's one where uh, yeah, Predator fights ancient Egyptians, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and They've been coming for a while. Let's have them let's show other times they shut up. Neat. Uh, and, you know... People of different cultures with different mm-hmm. levels of technology. How do they deal with this mm-hmm. super monster that's beamed down from the sky? Yeah, it's episodic, uh, but it's fun. Uh, and so they they took that idea from mm-hmm. Dark Horse Comics and just did a movie of it. And yeah. so this is a movie uh, set in Comanche country mm-hmm. in 1719. Yep. Uh, I looked up a, like a tiny bit of history, and evidently this was a time of uh, great expansion for the Comanche nation. Okay. Uh, the main character, uh, her name is Nauru. She's played by an actress named Amber Midthunder. She was in the TV show Legion and some other things. She's been acting since she was like four. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she is an expert tracker mm. and she's a very good hunter and she's because of sexism in the tribe, she's not allowed to go with the men mm-hmm. to go hunting. Well, she wants to go on basically a rite of passage, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, not just going on a hunt, but to hunt something that is also hunting you. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which would normally be some sort of predator, some there's, sort of there's carnivore. A, I, th- you know? I think there's like uh, pumas around. Well, we see the... there, there's definitely a big a big mountain lion mm. somewhere in the movie. There's uh, wolves in the area, uh, and there's bears. So mm-hmm. it's not un- inconceivable that any one of those might have done the trick. But uh, she she's quite handy with a tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how slow this movie is at the start, mm-hmm. where it establishes all the characters and the setting and mm-hmm. the place and the pace. Uh, it's not impatient to get to the monster stuff. No, in fact, that's one of the... And that's something that I think they actually paid attention to in the original Predator is, aside from, like, a couple of little things, like you see the spaceship at the beginning, Mm. and then we lose track of it for a while because it's not important yet. We're just playing fair. Mm. So that when the Predator shows up, you're like, oh, okay, you, you you played fair. But, like... The cool thing about like a lot of like horror and sci-fi movies is that the characters exist in a world where they don't know about this stuff yet. Mm-hmm. But if you introduce like the vampire or the alien or whatever in the first five minutes and the characters interact with it too quickly, then it just feels like it's part of their status quo and it doesn't really feel as special all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas in something like Predator, they're halfway through a mission before they find out aliens are real. It's <laughs> weird. From Dust Till Dawn is another example where it's like... It's like a, all of it's a sudden ki- they're a vampire. It's a kidnapping yeah. movie for like 45 fucking minutes and then they're vampires and it comes as much of a shock to the audience. Even if you knew what it was going in, you just kind of got used to the vibe of it by now. Mm. It's as weird to you as it is to the characters. And so here is a story that if the Predator never showed up, would have been perfectly interesting. There are interesting characters in this mm. group of people. Here's someone who's on an interesting journey. She's got a lot of conflict. There's a lot of obstacles in her path, and she really wants to prove herself. And so when an opportunity comes to join a hunt for a, a mountain lion that had dragged away one of the uh, mm. one of the young men... Uh, to find, she, to find the young man and yeah. see if he's alive. She, she she tags along, and then gradually she becomes aware that there is... A demon, or as we know in the audience, mm. an alien yeah. uh, in their midst who is on a hunting expedition. And, and they, she uh, starts figuring it out very slowly because it's not easy to figure it out unless you've seen the other movies. The, uh, Take some context. The design of the alien in, in the previous movies <coughs> well, has always been a little bit thick and clunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially in the Anderson movies. They're just... Yeah, they're just like a, they're chunky. Yeah, they, they like they clearly put somebody in like a latex suit or yeah. like a, a silicon suit. I always preferred like the a, lithe version of them uh, in like Predator in, One and Two. In, in Predators, yeah. I think they made them look a little bit more like aliens, like yeah. actually like beings. And this bizarre, one, I think, yeah. is is best. Uh, not only is it like a, they're using like CGI to sort of slim it out, but they're also uh, using certain camera angles to make it look bigger. Oh yeah, uh, played really by hulking, played like yeah. a, a big basketball player guy who's like. Six or seven or something, but yeah, yeah. they made his name like is his... Dane Deliegro. Dane Dane Deliegro uh, plays the monster, but yeah, they shot him in such a way where he looks like he's nine feet tall. Yeah, and uh, we get to see him. They usually travel around with like these scanning masks, and so mm-hmm. we get to see them take the masks off, and they actually like altered the face so it looks even more alien than it did in the past. Well, one thing, and this is something, that, uh, maybe the Predator and the Alien versus Predator movies aren't canon because I'm not entirely sure. But nothing in this movie contradicts Predator 1, Predator 2, mm. or Predators. Or any of them. Well, mm. well, nothing, certainly not those those three. And mm. I feel like, um, I feel like, and I would have to like double check this, like the Predator that we saw is actually one of like the bigger, meaner Predators that we first met in the movie Predators. Oh, okay. Like it just looks a little different from the one from the original mm. two movies. I, I, I... I just see that as we have an opportunity to to redesign it, so we're going to do that. So I think if you're if you're really paying thing, attention, but, uh, it's kind of fun. 
That's all. Um, so yeah, this uh, there are occasional shots of this alien creature stalking around the countryside, and it, you know is clearly looking for the most dangerous game. Yeah, uh, it, it fights a wolf. It fights a bear. Uh, it, well, at first it fights a snake, and the snake is quick made short work of, and yeah. Uh, then yeah, then it fights a wolf, and then eventually uh, Amber Midthunder sees the creature fight a bear. Like and that's like you know what I saw something and it's really fucked up. It killed a bear. Yeah, but it's like it's bare hands too. Can, can like, we do Jesus. something? And they're and nobody believes her at first. Uh, so. Yeah, nobody believes her at first. The usual kind of cliche things. And she has to sort of train on her own and go you know, face off. And then of course she gets help from I think it's her brother. It's her brother. Uh, her play, brother is well. What happens is played by an actor named Dakota Beavers, and he's really good. He's so good. Uh, like they're both they're great leads. Mm. I want to see more. They, from they have both like of them. they have really like a good great. believable. Re- what yeah. I like about their relationship between the the brother and sister characters mm-hmm. is it's really antagonistic, but they also have each other's backs yeah, in a believable way. Yeah, like, it's just, like, like we're just competitive. I'm going to, I'm going to give know? you a lot of crap, but you know, when yeah. you, when I say something, I'm actually going to listen and believe you and not yeah. do that annoying movie thing where nobody ever believes the hero. No, no, like, no. He's like, actually has her back. And, you know, just, like I saw a big footprint over yeah. there. That's just a bear. No, look again. Okay. You're right. Okay. Something weird's going on here. And yeah. I believe you now. It's, yeah. you know, Moments like that, and they're very, they're really wonderful together. Um, and then the story escalates, and then eventually a whole bunch of people get slaughtered, and there's a lot of really cool fighting stuff. Well, there's and, a, and eventually, uh, some French trappers, some colonialists, get involved. And this yeah. is 1719, so uh, there's a little bit of. Uh, Oh wait, the assholes have arrived. Yeah. Well, there's a moment that harkens back to that uh, bit in uh, Dances with Wolves, where mm. they run into a field of buffalo, and they've been like. Skinned, Mer- they've yeah. been skinned, but they've also been wasted. Mm. Like they didn't use the meat or anything. It was just an entirely wasteful uh, way to approach the animals and the environment. And so we run into that, and for a second we think it's the predator, but then we remember, oh wait, mm. there are trappers in the area. And there's some larger context mm. going on. But I think one of the things that works best about this movie is, although yeah, there's some subtext and there's, uh, it, but it's basically just stripped down. It's actually like an extremely efficient narrative. It's, it's just a good monster movie. It's a uh, very good monster movie with rock solid characters in it. Uh, there's it's well written, but it's not overwritten. It's actually like there's mm-hmm. hardly any dialogue unless there needs to be. Um, and all and of this it doesn't this, do that cutesy mm, thing where you have to know what happened in the previous movies. No, like there's a uh, couple there, of moments where it might help, but mm, you don't need it. Yeah, there's there's like yeah some callbacks, but they function in this story just as well yeah. as they did. If this was your first Predator movie. A, I think you're going to love it. Hmm. B, I think you're going to want to watch a couple more. Uh, in fact, if you haven't seen any Predator movies, start with this one. It's not a bad uh, start. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. uh, I mean, chronologically, it's the first anyway. Um, yeah, but it really does work, and you'll 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 pick up on a couple hmm. of things that this is like making reference to later. Hmm. And you go, ah, I get it now. Hmm. But like, it really works really really nice. Um, the idea I, of uh, transposing a science fiction premise, very simple hmm. thing, into a, a moment in the distant past is a pretty simple idea that I feel they should just employ more. Uh, This is... It cuts through a lot of the clutter. You don't have to have people talking about, like, oh, I saw something like this in a movie once. Mm. And you don't have to have shit like, oh, no, my cell phone doesn't work. Mm. None of those little distractions are in the narrative. It's all immediate. Go go back. There's... You know? People get to discover uh, things and have wonder about it for the first time. There's a really wonderful uh, promise in uh, The Terminator, the James Cameron movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there's time travel in that story. Uh-huh. Robots come from the future to kill the mother of the resistance fighter that's giving them trouble in the future. Yeah. Uh, okay. It didn't work when you went back to 1984. 
Go back to 1964. <laughs> then go back to 1864. Yeah. Then go back to 50 AD. You know, just they, keep on going. They That's did like, in Genesis. They said they did that. They sh- but let's watch that movie. I, I don't want right? to watch Genesis. <laughs> right? No, it's cool. Genesis like, is a piece of crap. I feel like I think that happened. I think there was like a Sarah Connor Chronicles episode. We found out some Terminators ended up going back to like Prohibition era gangster yeah. times or something like that. But should have just I didn't. That should have been the that. film series. Each yeah. movie should have been well, like a generation and I, prior to the one. And frankly, I really do like this. I think it's much more interesting. Hmm. For, like, to not have this... I, Scream was a big deal when it came out because it was, like, the first movie in which people found themselves in, like, a movie situation and constantly talked about how they feels like they're in a movie. Mm-hmm. Which it would. If that happened in real life, you would probably yeah, at least this, reference... This is a lot like a horror movie. And, and we would probably... These ones in particular. Yeah, and we wouldn't make note of it because it would it's our filter now. But that gets really tiresome after a while, especially when you consider how few movies have anything by having those conversations so I, I'm tired of all that it's it's fine but it does it doesn't make it interesting it's mm. just part of the fabric now this movie takes all of that away we don't get any of that the audience is a little ahead of it because we're aware of the franchise and because we see a few scenes that the character doesn't like the alien mm. ship dropping off the predator that kind of thing but we're not that far ahead of anybody especially if you haven't seen it before it all totally works um it's a really, really good way to handle it. Um, the craft of this movie is really impeccable. Mm. Uh, it is really attractively photographed. It looks as good as any Western I've seen in a really long time. <laughs> and I'm particular, I and I don't usually single this out mm-hmm. when I talk about a movie because too often I think it's does its job fine, but it isn't worth it. Uh, Sarah Shackner's score is great. <laughs> I love that score. Especially, it's especially interesting considering Predator already has a kind of iconic score. Alan Silvestri's score for the original Predator mm. is great. It's, it's recognizable a, anyway. It's very yeah. recognizable. It tells the story great. It's very memorable. It's been repeated multiple times throughout the franchise. It's highly effective. It's wonderful. And Sarah Shackner is clearly not doing that. Mm. It sounds a little bit more... Like more westerny type things, I mean, more like uh, modern westerny type things or uh, colonial uh, mm. uh, films, you know, more along the lines of something like The Patriot or uh, uh, Last of the Mohicans. Um, it's a great adventure score, but it's also adaptable enough that it can feel like a horror score when it needs to. Mm. It's really good, and it's well, one of those things where I'm just like, God, I hope because I, this debuted on Hulu, I don't know what the rules are. I hope it's eligible for an Oscar because that score deserves a nomination. I love that uh, score. Yeah, I don't I don't know how it works with streaming. Uh, a lot of people are up in arms that this wasn't released theatrically. Um, I, I'm getting a little less concerned about that these no, days. It, just it, to get, see it how you see it. Uh, if, if the only if, reason a movie has extra prestige is because it was in a theater, that, I think that's on you. Yeah, Give it as much prestige yeah. as you want to as it deserves and, uh, if yeah, you talk about it as if it has clout and credibility then it does yeah, it doesn't I, matter I, where you saw it i first. value the theatrical experience i sure. like seeing things on a big screen but i also openly acknowledge that the bulk of movies i've seen just in my life in general have been at home yeah and a lot of the greatest movies i've ever seen i saw on a vhs cassette for the first time so yeah. i'm not getting too uh 
precious about the theatrical experience, yeah. but I, I think if you have an opportunity to see something in a theater, definitely see it. Mm-hmm. It's worth seeing at home. It is worth seeing in a theater. And but, this would be a cool theatrical experience. Yeah, and it would have, yeah, but because it's not available theatrically, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get angry about that. No. Uh, if, if you have a fact, subscription to Hulu, which is where it's available, mm-hmm. then you can watch it on Hulu. Uh, in fact, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of, I'm pretty zen about this one, mm-hmm. actually, because the simple fact is, Hmm. Predator has been struggling to find an audience in theaters since the first one. Like, the first one was a hit. <laughs> Predator 2 did okay, hmm. but you notice there wasn't a follow-up right away. The, the next big hit was a- Alien vs. Predator. and I, yeah. Which was still not huge. It's actually, hmm. like, one of the lower-grossing Alien movies. Uh, actually, I don't think that's true. I think uh, when you go to just sort of like unadjusted for inflation, oh, okay, yeah, Alien yeah. vs. Predator is the highest grossing in both series combined. Uh, yes. Uh Oh, I'm looking. Oh, I'm I'm looking this up. Hang on. Yeah, a second. I'm I'm fairly certain that's true. Uh, correct me if I'm not. Oh, yeah, I think like Alien vs. Predator only. was actually this huge hit. Uh, a, a fun little yeah. bit of trivia about Alien vs. Predator is uh, Sigourney Weaver was looking at a I think it was a script that was written by James Cameron, mm. and Ridley Scott was interested in directing, and they were ah. going to get uh, Sigourney Weaver back. It was like this sort of like magical alchemy between Alien and Aliens. Mm. And uh, they decided, uh, and the t- the, it times out in just the right way that Freddy versus Jason had come out in 2003, and that had made so much money that they decided, no, we're not going to do the mm. Ridley Scott James Cameron Alien, we're no. going to do Alien versus Predator instead. No. And, and that, that one made a lot of money. It did okay. Here's 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 what for the for the sake of mm. posterity, not that it's super mm. important, but. Uh, I'm looking at the numbers, the numbers.com, the dash numbers, which is the best site since box office mojo changed the way it works and isn't very good anymore. Um, so it looks like at the worldwide box office, the highest grossing film in the alien franchise, leaving predator out of it, mm. um, is technically, and again, not adjusted for inflation mm. is Prometheus with $402 million. Oh, okay. Good. Not incredible by today's standards. Mm. Nowadays, less than 500 is not considered like, oh my God, we have to build a giant franchise out of it. Especially considering how much money they spend on these things. So uh, after that, the next uh, biggest one was Alien Covenant with 238 million. Oh gosh. I guess the the newer ones higher. But again, if you adjusted for inflation, a lot of the other ones would be more successful. Um, Then after that, it's the original Alien. Followed very closely by aliens, like they're within like a million and a half of each other. Okay. Uh, followed by the next on the list is Alien vs. Predator. Oh, I guess so. With 172 million. Right. Uh, followed uh, reasonably closely by Alien Resurrection and Alien 3. And then the lowest grossing one in the series is Alien vs. Predator Requiem. So yeah, it's also well, the worst one. But well, <laughs> but anyways, my point is this: the Predator movies were never as big hits, even as the Alien movies. Mm. The the Predator wasn't that long ago, and nobody really cared for it. So it's the movie, the franchise is a little radioactive right now. Mm. People aren't super excited about it. So doing if you, I think if you would put Prey in theaters right now, people who saw it would love it. But, but how no many people would, would run to see it? it? Yeah. Whereas. Putting it on Hulu, where people have access to it immediately, I think is actually probably better for it in the long term. Getting people talking about people, it. People can see it right away. Mm. They don't have to put an additional investment in order to give it a chance in case they were like gun-shy because the last couple of them weren't mm. good. And then they're going to watch it, they're going to love it, and then next time, now that we've got like the cred back, if they want to do a follow-up to Prey, or if they want to put another time period or mm. something... Then it's probably I, I think it's actually probably a smarter move. Yeah. But 
that's business, and I don't care as much about that. What I do care about is that Prey is really good. I love this movie. I watched it again. There's a, a oh, you dub it twice. Too, I, well, right? Michelle yeah. hadn't seen it when I watched it, right. so Michelle was curious about it. So we watched it, and then we watched the Comanche dub. Oh, cool! Uh, because yeah. um, the uh, there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie, and some of it in the original is in Comanche, but. For the sake of mainstream audiences, most of the most dialogue of was in English. English yeah. And so what happened was they redubbed some of the scenes that were filmed in English in Comanche. And you can tell the sync is off, but it's reasonably well done. With, and, from what I understand, with the original actors. Yes. They got the original actors back. Yeah, uh, it, um, it plays great. Um, if, you've, if you watch them back to back, you'll notice that uh, the subtitles are like... Ever so slightly different, and I wonder yeah. if that's just a, a sort of a translation thing. Like, there different uh, uh, languages have different words and different uses for terminology, I, I, but it's basically yeah. the same. It's it's the same story, certainly. Yeah, and the Comanche dub is awesome, so I, I would recommend seeing yeah, it if you can. Yeah. Uh, I I'm not uh, aware enough to sort of point to point out some of like prob like errors that yeah, uh, the, the filmmakers had made evidently the person they hired as like sort of their combat consultant it was the archery constructor archery yeah yeah like, apparently the archery instructor just made shit up just, and yeah, didn't so, actually follow the, the whatever yeah, uh, that sucks but what are you gonna yeah, do yeah. amber mid thunder is not comanche she's sue oh yeah. you know it's, okay it's, it's it, okay you know, you know, they hired a, a, a yeah. first nation actor so yeah great. which uh, is which is pretty good but yeah, yeah. it would have been cool but like mm. you know I, I that doesn't ruin the movie i think is it worth pointing out sure it, does it ruin the movie? I don't think it ruins it at all. I think the movie is still fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love this movie, and I hope you see it if you haven't already because it's, it's just that good. It's pretty terrific. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about uh, the other horror movie that we saw this week. Mm -hmm. uh, is they slash them also terrific? Mm -hmm. um, I love that noise. <laughs> they slash. Wouldn't them it be great if the predator made that noise? He's just wandering around the woods, uh -huh. going eh, like Eddie Deason. Like, eh. <laughs> I don't want to be in this movie. Um, <laughs> they slash them is bad. Oh, no. um, this is uh, written and directed by John Logan. Yeah. Uh, who you, is a celebrity screenwriter. In uh, Oscar nominated. Um, yeah. I don't think he won, but he was Oscar nominated. Um, let, me, yeah. let me look at John Logan's career, by the uh, way. He uh, has nominated been nominated for three, three times. Three fucking Oscars. He wrote the screenplays for Gladiator, uh, uh, The Aviator, and Hugo. In, in addition it's, to um, Alien Covenant, bringing it back around, uh, he, he, Skyfall... Uh, he wrote Any Given Sunday. Mm -hmm. Star Trek Nemesis was his screenplay. Uh, he wrote uh, the, the Last, Last Samurai. Samurai. Sweeney Todd. Rango, a great movie. He wrote RKO 281, the mm. uh, story about the making of Citizen Kane. Pretty yeah. good, actually. Uh, I believe this is his first film as a director. And, it uh, is, yeah. He, uh, and he has a, a really great talent for making these really interesting, complex, like The Aviator and Hugo, these mm. uh, interesting characters and these really elaborate setups. Yeah. Uh, while he was producing a recent documentary film on gay conversion camps, mm. uh, that is usually religious-run institutions where cruel parents will send their queer children to be made... Uh, to behave in a heterosexual fashion. Yeah, to try to to try uh, to reprogram them yeah, the, to uh, behave in a way that the parents will approve of. If you look at a lot of the language of these gay conversion camps, they don't say anywhere in the literature, we'll make your kids straight. But that's what they're saying. What they're saying is, we'll make them behave straight. They'll, you're still gay, uh -huh. but they'll never talk about it and they'll behave in a straight fashion. That's the goal mm -hmm. of these camps. Uh, they are cruel and unusual. Yep. 
uh, they still exist. Yep. Uh, they are sadistic and evil. Yeah. And uh, John Logan learned a lot about these camps while producing the documentary film. Uh, let me look up the name of the film that he produced. Um, oh, uh, it, it was just on. called like. Uh, I got it here. Um, uh, is it We're Not Here? No, it's it just called like the the institution. I had some uh, really. Not mm. I'll, I'll look it up. You keep um, going because I didn't see this one, so uh, you're gonna have to tell me about it. So uh, he decided he had the idea to set a slasher at a gay conversion camp. Fun idea, mm. because you want to see those people get murdered in a slasher movie. Uh, so the movie opens with uh, a bunch of kids coming to this camp, and Kevin Bacon plays the head of this camp, and he starts the film with this very, uh, very velvet talking kind of speech. You're here, and. If anybody says that God hates gay people, they're bigots, and I'm not going to talk about God anymore. Uh, we're just going to find who you are, what your truth is, and you're going to live it. And he mm. actually, like, it actually sounds very like, oh wait, this actually is not a gay conversion camp. He's actually going to uh, reaffirm all of these people. And then the big trouble comes where uh, Kevin Bacon divides the kids into the the boys' camp and the girls' camp, and the main character of the piece, uh, Jordan, uh, is non-binary. Mm. And they're not comfortable with going to the boys or the girls camp. And they say, don't you have any gender-free cabins? And they say, no, uh, Jordan, uh, just arbitrarily, I'm sending you to the boys camp. Yeah. It's like, and, and we're going to refer to you, and you're going to have he pronouns now. Mm. And Jordan's like, that's bullshit. Jo- it is bullshit, the, yeah. Jordan is the only one who, like, says it out loud, like, from yeah. the start. So it's like, this is, this is bullshit, this camp is bullshit. It looks like the documentary is called Pray Away. Pray Away. Uh, and mm-hmm. it looks like it was more of a Jason Blum's inspiration than Logan's. But yeah, anyway. Mm, all right. Uh, uh, and a frustratingly long amount of time in this movie mm. is spent with these characters that we don't really explore that much. We get to know uh, about their gender and their sexuality, and that's kind of where it stops. Oh. It resembles one of those really cheap queer films from the 1990s, uh, where there was a big explosion of queer films in the 90s in yeah. the indie scene, and a lot of them were quite bad because they assumed that queerness was the only character trait that a lot of these characters had. Yeah, by simply portraying characters who are queer, that, we've done enough work. Yeah, like that's what their queerness is the yeah. only thing that made them interesting, and yeah. they didn't have any lives beyond that. Yeah. So every every conversation they have is about the camp or about queerness. It's not about them as a person. Right. Uh, one of the counselors is played by Anna Klumsky, and it's always nice to see her. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she uh, she was a child actress. She retired for a bit and then came back as an adult. It's probably best known um, as the star of the My Girl movies. Yeah, she was the yeah. the the girl in the My Girl movies back in the ninety in like it's like ninety early nineties maybe because yeah. movies came out. Uh, never saw the My Girl movies. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, of course, there's a mass killer stalking about. Naturally, and because that's and the premise. There's a lot of summer. There's a lot of slash movies that yeah. are about a killer at a summer camp. It's a killer at a summer this camp. This is a particular yeah. kind and of uh, summer. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it, it, paper. It's on, pa- on, on paper, all of this is fine. Yeah, uh, and uh, and of course, it's revealed that it's not enough to have these people running a, a conversion camp. Mm. That is, I suppose, not c- communicating enough that they're evil. They have to do something we'll, more They also sinister. have to do, like, yeah, evil, sinister things. Like, sending people, at, like, kids after other kids to deliberately seduce them. And then use, like, shock therapy. And, like, and it looks like a torture chair. Like, they don't need to have cartoon evil. It's already evil enough. But yeah. Also, John Logan, have you seen slasher movies? <laughs> And that's is that's there, not a great question to have to ask a director of a horror movie. Is there 
do you know how these things are supposed to function? What is also, what is... have you seen how fucking gay slasher movies are already? <laughs> have you seen Sleepaway Camp, for God's sake? Well, yes, okay. Uh, but, there's a lot of but, sexuality and queerness in slasher movies already. Yeah. And he took it out for the movie that's ostensibly about sexuality and queerness. Okay. That uh, sucks. Fear Street 1978 is way better that's about a really its queerness. Good, that's a really good summer camp slasher movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Uh, yeah. all, all, all three of the, I guess, yeah. technically four of the, the Fear Street movies are great. Because yeah, like, um, the third one's kind of two movies. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an amazing series. Though. I, I, I wish they had released it as two movies. Uh, yeah, it's whatever, like, it's uh, yeah, there's uh, 1994, 1978. 1666. 1666. And yeah. then the, at the end of 1666, it's like a, an hour-long film where it's 94 yeah. part two. They should have released it as four movies. Whatever, I don't care. It's so but uh, John Logan whiffs everything. Okay. He whiffs the characters. Uh-huh. He whiffs any commentary. Like, what's the commentary here? Who Who is, is this supposed... It's supposed to be a revenge fantasy, right? Yeah. Queer audiences are going to watch this and take uh, a dark glee mm-hmm. in watching uh, gay conversion camp rulers getting... Like, a, a lot of horror movies uh, operate on a level of exaggerated, but mm-hmm. still morality mm. where things are kind of oversimplified you know you're evil but you're what you do that would normally be considered immoral and ethical mm. has been exaggerated to the point where you're a supervillain who murders people in their dreams or yeah. whatever and so it makes sense to just take strong stances mm. in a in a straightforward horror movie mm. and it sounds like he took that away yeah well and and here here's another frustrating thing so uh they're careful to sort of run a gamut of gender and sexuality. There's, mm. there's a trans character, there's a non-binary character, there's a, a, a gay boy, there's a lesbian, mm-hmm. there's a bisexual girl, and he, he treats... Asexual? Pardon? Asexual? There's no asexuals. Ah. Uh, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, if, if you're asexual, your parents aren't going to send you to a conversion camp. Well, I don't know, I don't know um, what the rules are, but, like, it's yeah. in any case... Just, just, just saying. Yeah, not, not. I appreciate though that John Logan is trying to uh, run the gamut of uh, representation. Mm. Sure. Uh, a non-binary main character is great. Kind of a coup. No, that we, there are, we, we, we need that more of that. Yeah, like o- openly non-binary character. Yeah, played by a non-binary performer. Great. Uh, let me look up the the performer's name. Um, uh... Who plays the character of Jordan? Um, uh, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. Theo Germain. Theo Germain. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're great. Mm. Uh, so I appreciate the, what he's trying to do there, but there's a scene partway through the movie where uh, it's a terrible scene where all of all of the kids are together in a cabin and they're trying to bond and they all bond over uh, a pop song and they all know the lyrics to this pop. I think that's a Lady Gaga song. Okay, is it born this way? It's not born this way. Okay. Uh, or maybe it's a Katy Perry. I'm, I'm not uh, up on my pop music. The point is, this is like, it's a queer anthem. Yeah. And they all know the lyrics. Okay. Which means in, and John Logan's a gay man, but in this movie, queerness is this re- frustrating monolith. Yeah. Where all queer people kind of come at life the same way. So he's trying to have this wide gamut of experiences and genders and sexualities and have these people have... Uh, you know, their own backstories that they're sort of bringing to this. She's mm-hmm. from the suburbs, you know, uh, and, you know, she's concerned about her parents. This uh, this person's going to be kicked out of the house. This person just wants to get, you know, they're all trying, he's trying to really texture it a little bit, but yeah. then he doesn't do it. 
And he makes them all kind of behave kind of the same. They have these really flaccid love stories that are not interesting to watch. Okay, here's what you're not telling uh, me about. Uh, Tell me about the kills. It's a slasher oh, movie, yeah. right? What kills? He doesn't film them in an interesting way. It's it's the usual. We see an axe rise, and then we see a splatter of blood on the wall. That's oh it's come that on, thing. like uh, it, it's not even like gory or for. interesting. Like, You're not going to see somebody like impaled on a weather what, vane or you know the, something fun. I, I, it's a bit ghoulish, but one of the things mm. that we go to a slasher movie for is, is, is interesting ways to uh, well, watch people die. Because slashers ways, are yeah. formulaic. There's mm. only so many things that we ask of them. So they're doing the same basic rigmarole over oh. and over again. And there's only like so many spaces for genuine ingenuity. And one of those spaces is we don't care how you kill them. Mm. So you can be creative there. You can do yeah. weird, exciting, interesting things. You can film it in an interesting yep. way. You can come up with like, oh, I've never seen someone killed by that power tool. Yeah. before like something that's yes. where you even a bad slasher movie can, can have good can, kills can yeah. have good kills and you'd be like oh you know what every mm. once in a while i did something kind of scary so cool right yeah. and like you can give it a pass mm. no no oh, fuck yeah. it's like kill, shove a squirrel down someone's throat i don't care do <laughs> something do something fun and interesting Jesus. Uh, okay. no there's nothing fun and interesting we're not putting that the, on a shirt by the, the way shove a squirrel shove a squirrel down someone's throat. throat we're not doing that <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's it's not good commentary. Oh, it's not interesting characters. Uh, it's it, it's terrible slasher movie. Uh, it's not a good mystery. Uh, There's not good gore. Uh, Kevin Bacon's okay, I guess, just because he's a good actor. Oh, I mean, it's kind of fun to uh, see Kevin Bacon back in like a summer camp horror yeah, movie because he, he got his Friday start the in Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, I feel like or one of his John Logan films, yeah. had never seen a slasher movie before. Like he knew what it was from a book. So he doesn't know how to make some, and he, he, I can't tell if he's trying to be campy with it, uh, or if he's trying to be really serious about it. Uh, he just sort of goes all over the place, and at the end of the day, just everything sucks. So I would recommend instead watch Sleepaway Camp, watch any sure. slasher. Sleepaway Camp is yeah. really fucked up, by the way. Not everyone appreciates it, but it's an interesting film. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're gonna you're gonna have seen something interesting. Something watch, to talk uh, about watch, afterwards. Uh, uh, watch Strip to Kill. Strip to Kill is a good movie. There you with go. A lot of queerness in it. Um, um, let's see. Watch But I'm a Cheerleader, which is yes! another film about. I was a gay gonna bring this up. Oh, it's about it's about uh, uh, a young woman played by Natasha Leone. Hmm. She's a teenager. Her everyone tells her she's queer. She doesn't even realize it yet. She hmm. has, she doesn't realize she's queer until she goes to conversion camp hmm. and falls in love with Clea Duvall, <laughs> as anyone would. Uh, and um, it's. And that movie's great. I love that movie. Um, yeah. uh, J- Jamie Babbitt is the director of that one. Yeah. And, uh, she, she's a, a, a playful director. I like Jamie yeah. Babbitt. No, it's a fun film. And, uh, and but that one, like, it, it's it's uh, Jamie Babbitt went like full John Waters. Everything's really oh, colorful yeah. and pink and campy and yeah. over the top. And yeah, uh, it fits. Yeah, it, it, it makes the material the, more palpable the, than the, it would have been. Palatable by, than uh, it would have been otherwise. The villain yeah. is played by Kathy Moriarty. Is just uh, chewing scenery. She's, she's so wonderful. Uh, it, that's a really good movie, yeah. and it actually has a point of view about queerness. Yeah, uh, it's just gayer. Yeah, <laughs> in general, it's more. It manages to be fiercely mm. critical while also sweet and romantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to do. It really and, pulls and, it off. And I think uh, it, it pulls off this really delicate balancing act by depicting a queer conversion camp as sort of like the silly cartoon thing that you can just sort of brush off. Well, it, it gives it no respect whatsoever, yeah, which is which is key. And in this yeah. one, they're, they're treating it like, you know, as the monstrous institution it is, but they're turning, turning it into something like horror movie monstrous when yeah. it's plenty monstrous the way it is. I, I said that already. It, but, sounds, um, um, it sounds like a bad film. So yeah, they slash them. 
it kind of sucks. And, you know, setting a slasher at a gay conversion camp, fine idea. Good idea. That's, that's a good pitch. Uh, yeah, good, good. You, you, that's and, one of those things where it's just like, okay, we're going to do a summer camp slasher movie. Seen it. It's at a gay conversion camp. Haven't seen that. Okay, well, yeah. how would we do that? Like, there's like, how, what what interesting commentary can we have there? What a great cast we could have there. What, what We could play with the, with the genre, which is uh, often dealt with so much with sexual mores. Like, we can... Wow, what a wonderful opportunity. Think of all the different filmmakers who would have done something so interesting and thoughtful and playful and insightful mm. with that. Sounds like it's bad. Yeah. Um, uh, if, if if we can get anything out of it, it's uh, Theo Germain. They're mm. great. Okay. Uh, they were in a TV show called like The Politicians, and I'm not familiar with that nah. show. Uh, but uh, they have movie star quality. Cool. They could carry an, a different movie. Uh they're, right? they're going to do something, you know. So at, at the very least, we're introduced to, you know, a new potential movie star. Mm, that's good. But uh, but they slash them as not the movie to, to propel anybody anywhere. That's a shame. Well, I saw another movie, and this is another one where the premise is a lot. Okay. The premise is whether or not you even want to go past the premise is up to you. But the premise is like, okay, I haven't seen that. Uh, I Love My Dad is a film from James Morrissini. He wrote, directed it, and stars as a, a character based on himself. This is based on a true, I don't know how extensively true it is, but apparently the gist of it happened uh, to him and his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the movie, James Morrissini, his father's played by Patton Oswalt. Uh, Patton Oswalt uh, got a divorce from his mom and he's been a shitty absentee dad always calling and making excuses but never actually being there or doing anything or showing an interest and being present which is most of the gig at the end of the credits we see the toll this has taken on uh, James Morrissey's character the character's name is Franklin not exactly playing himself but close mm. uh, Franklin is in uh, uh, he's just done a stint in an institution uh, apparently he tried to kill himself hmm. as he leaves kind of hopeful for the future socially awkward but trying to get his, his life together he decides the thing to do is to cut his dad out of his life and he blocks hmm. his phone number and he blocks him on social media his dad figures out that he's been blocked on social media he might not have been present but he liked keeping an eye on him that way hmm. and when he realizes that he's been blocked he is devastated and when he very panicky uh, tells his friend, uh, played by Lil Rel Howery, what happened. I like Lil Rel. Lil Rel's great. Yeah. Uh, he says, well, you know, you could always just start a fake account and just follow him. <laughs> and Patton Oswalt gets that into his head. But the account that he creates, he decides to basically steal the name and pictures of a waitress at a local diner. Mm. Creates a new account, uses her real name, and friends his son. And his son <laughs> accepts the friend request, but seeing that he's her only friend, messages her. Mm. And he was going to be anonymous, and now he's like in a position where he says, I'll, I'll block you if you don't say anything, I'm going to assume you're a bot. Mm. And so he has to talk to his son under the guise of being this attractive young woman. Oh no. <laughs> and then he starts talking, you know, basically having a conversation with him and showing an interest in him in him and his hobbies and his life and his feelings and before long he's dating his own son. <laughs> his son doesn't realize it's his dad and the only way to continue the relationship without breaking his heart is to 
continue the lie. And mm. eventually he was like, okay, the kid wants to talk to someone on the phone. Pat Oswalt has to come up with some he's way to cat, convince his girlfriend. His son. Yeah, he's catfishing right. his son. Right. And it gets it comes into a it comes to a real head when uh, the son wants to meet her. Uh-huh. And Pat Oswalt agrees to drive him to the town where she lives. Oh. And then they're in a motel together. And the kid's like, and these, again, this kid's like 20 years, whatever. Mm. He's in his 20s. And like, he's like in the bathroom and he's trying to sext his girlfriend. And Pat Oswalt doesn't know what to do with that. Oh, and God. that goes weird. Um, it's a discomfort comedy. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the what it is. This this basically is like you can imagine if Seinfeld was on today. This is something George Costanza would end up doing. Yeah, like you know, just like it's like I've done something that's it's very very selfish of me, mm-hmm. but it seemed like a, a reasonably harmless thing to do at the time, and then it became very harmful. And now and the now only I thing can't worse stop and I have to keep doing the only thing worse here. than perpetuating the lie is admitting I did the thing in the first place and. Your mileage on that comedy, on that type of comedy, varies. I'm typically not a fan. Well, I, it depends it all on how it's handled. Exactly. And there's a but lot. There's, of... There are filmmakers who can handle discomfort comedy very well. Agreed. Uh, and I, I think the secret to discomfort comedy is assuring the audience. Mm-hmm. That the filmmakers have a point of view on what's going on. Yeah, the filmmakers are going somewhere uh, with this. Like Trust I, us. either yeah. they're they're taking a little bit of uh, vicious glee in it. That's mm-hmm. a point of view, uh, or that they clearly don't approve of it. That's a point yeah. of view. Well, again, if you yeah, uh, but you're right. Um, it doesn't really matter what the point of view is, but it has to be clear. There's a great there's a great movie that is a very uncomfortable comedy, mm. but it's brilliant. Uh, that Bobcat Goldthwait directed called World's Greatest Dad. Yes. Uh, World's Greatest Dads. It was one of the last films that starred Robin Williams. Um, he's great in it. Uh, Robin Williams plays a teacher. His son is an asshole. Just a horrible Just a being. horrible kid. And just his, and his mean, mom. His mom is out of the picture. So hateful. Just, just a misogynistic. A, yeah. Almost irredeemable. Le- learns really bad lessons from pornography. Says those things out loud. Yeah. Uh, the just, only, yeah, the an, only an, thing. A, a horrible human being. The only thing redeemable about this kid basically is. His saintly dad loves him, hmm. and then but he, he but he yells at his dad and yeah. pushes him around like he hates his own father. You know? Right, but Robin Williams loves him because it's his son, mm. and that kid dies accidentally, but in a very mm. compromising situation. And Robin Williams decides, uh, in order to save his son's reputation, like I'm going to at least spare him the indignity of the reality of what happened. Mm. He decides that he's going to make it look like the kid uh, killed himself, and and he writes a suicide note for his son in order to so that his son will have some respect in in death. And you, it's not the right thing to do, but you can see why he'd do it. But the problem is, he's such a good writer that he his son ends up having this like weird legacy. It's almost like Dear Evan Hansen if Dear Evan Hansen was like really thoughtful and had a point, mm-hmm. like it and like a good point. Uh, and actually, like, really thought out everything about it. And, like, you see, like, how um, absolutely uncomfortable this is and how it's preventing him from mourning his son. And all these people who actually hated his son are now pretending that they liked well, him. And a, it's really a big, bitter and a, acidic. A big part of the movie is he's writing these letters and he's he himself is a failed writer. Yeah. So he is actually using this as an opportunity. Uh, to reach an audience. Yeah, to to boost his own career. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and sort of in, even though uh, his his son is getting all the credit for the writing. He's yeah. soaking up all the fame that he's getting by disseminating it. Yeah. And that's a movie, but Bobcat Goldthwait is a very, very savvy filmmaker. And 
he knows when that's fucked up. He yeah. also knows when it's sympathetic, and he's really able to balance those things really, really well. Like, Robin Williams is doing a terrible thing, but Robin Williams is not an unsympathetic character. That's a tricky balance to pull off in a situation like this. Uh, James Morrissey is good at getting the discomfort out of the way, mm. but I, his perspective is weird. He, it, it seems to be, by the judging by the title card at the opening of this movie and the ending of the movie, which I won't give away what happens, but based on the ending, it's not as apocalyptic as it could be. Um, I don't know how much of the story is specifically true. It could be just a thing that happened a little and then a lot of the really shocking things that happen in the movie are extrapolations in order to turn it into a screenplay. Mm. I couldn't say. But as an audience member, I'm watching this and it is incredibly hard to stay on Patton Oswalt's side. Because he's the protagonist. Yeah. He's like the main character here. The whole point is trying to explain why the fuck he did what he did. Yeah. It feels by the end of the movie that James Morrissey, at least, whether or not his character has, mm. has come to terms with and still loves his dad. Okay. I'm so not a sure. a little bit of a, a redemptive. Yeah, redemptive there, yeah. or at least cathartic. Uh, but I'm not sure the movie gets us there mm. is the problem. I think that there's so much discomfort and there's so much emphasis on just how kind of hellish this thing he did was, even if he might have done it for a reason we can wrap our heads around. Mm -hmm. Within the confines of this, what, what is it, like two-hour movie? It's an hour and 36 minutes. Mm -hmm. Within the confines of this hour and 36 minutes, I feel like I don't reach the conclusion the movie reaches yet. Okay, I feel like it doesn't take me there. I am still kind of shocked, fascinated... Certainly, there's interesting movie, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not entirely sure that the journey it's taken me on, I made it all the way to the end. <laughs> I think they okay. did, and they told me about it. Uh, and as a result, I can't entirely say it's a good film. I can't entirely say it works, but it's too distinctive, and Patton Oswalt's really good in it. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen a movie quite like this, so credit credit for that at the very least. Um, I think Pat Oswalt does an exceptional job at making someone doing something unforgivable feel relatively forgivable, but that's oh, yeah. not the same as actually getting me to forgive him. Hmm. Um, so it's an odd film. And if you want to see an odd film, if you hmm. want to see a film that uh, tries to take you some uncomfortable places and knows it's doing it and is trying to get to somewhere with it, whether or not they succeed is up for some debate. Um, definitely a film to check out, but I don't think it quite mm. works. Um, so on that note, let's review the movies uh, we talked about this week on yeah, the critically just, acclaimed scale. Just the three. Just the three. The, you know what? Mm. That's okay. Mm. We were sick, damn it. We're going to cut ourselves a little bit of slack, and we'll next week we'll do better. Um, the critically acclaimed scale works thusly. We review films on a scale of C- minus to C+. A C is average. There's some good, there's some bad. It's better for some audiences than others. Uh, most movies probably fall under that umbrella. Mm. C- is below average, and that's everything from we just kind of don't recommend it to the worst thing we've ever seen. And C- is above average. We genuinely recommend it. We might even think it's a classic. Uh, on that note, uh, I love my dad. I'm going to give it a C. Okay. It's, it's too interesting to write off, but I don't think it tells a complete story. I don't think it feels like uh, uh, we've... I don't think it feels like the filmmaker has properly come to terms with everything the audience needs to, under, to get out of it. Okay. And so it feels a little incomplete. 
Got it. But it's interesting, and I haven't seen the like, so I'll give it some extra bonus points for that. Uh, on that note, uh, they slash them. They slash them. C minus. Ah, yeah. That, this again, fun, good idea on yeah. paper, uh, but they just whiffed everything. Oh man, I really wanted to see that. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so bad. Like I, I, there's a there's a frustrating thing that happens when you're a critic. Sometimes we're yeah. explaining why a movie doesn't work, and people say, "Oh, that sounds so bad. I really want to see it now." And you're like, "No, no, no. I'm talking you out of it. I'm, this, it it's it's not so good. It's mm. it's not so bad. It's fun. Mm. It's just." bad yeah sometimes it, if if uh <coughs> if, if you need to see any movie with mm-hmm. a non-binary protagonist like mm-hmm. openly openly non-binary protagonist not like mm-hmm. played by a non-binary binary performer but we're not going to use the word you want to support like, that regardless if you want to support yeah. that then yes yeah on on they slash them but um it's heavily qualified yeah yeah yep. it, but it's not good all right and then lastly prey uh prey, i give it a c plus it's yeah. a really enjoyable monster movie I, I think you're a little higher on it than i am oh i just love it <laughs> i love it the pieces. I, it's a c plus it's, a, right. it's just an excellently crafted monster movie like mm. it's a very 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 good monster movie yeah, and that's yeah. that's enough to be some of my favorite movies are just excellently crafted monster yeah, movies. It doesn't need to be any more than like that. It's just beautifully done. There's a, a previous generation when somebody like Stuart mm. Gordon mm. would have snuck something in like this in like the late 80s. It just would yeah. have been played in theaters. No one would have seen it. But then years later, like robot yeah. jocks, like guys like us would still be talking about it. So. Yeah, well, there's a lot of movies that like were only modest successes when they came out, but because of home video and repeat viewings and mm. cult filmmaking, uh, cult programming and midnight movies... They found that big audience over time, and that's hard to do now. Yeah, because there just aren't as many markets for that. There aren't as many opportunities people just sort of randomly throw into things. Um, so I think Prey is in this interesting sweet spot where, based on the number of people who seem to be talking about it and watching it, it seems reasonably successful for a streamer. But because it's like on a streamer, it still feels like a cult hit. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. It's an interesting beast. But yeah, huge old C plus. Love it the pieces. Uh, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Uh, next week we'll be back with reviews of other movies. I'm seeing um, hmm. a film called I think it's coming out next week called Lal Singh Chada. Which is okay. a, an Indian remake of Forrest Gump. Oh, I heard about yeah, that. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking about that one. I don't know about any remake of Forrest Gump. That's really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, let's see. I'm probably seeing... Um, I've seen Inuo, the new anime film from uh, Masaaki Iwasa. Right. Uh, so I'll definitely be reviewing that. There's a new thriller called Fall, which is about people stranded at the top of a very tall thing. Uh, there's a new uh, Jamie Foxx vampire movie on Netflix called Day Shift, <laughs> uh, which just that alone sounds uh, fun, uh, right? Okay. You got me with the elevator pitch. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's, I think there's a new James Ponsolt movie out called Summering. Uh, I like we'll, James Ponsolt. Yeah, we'll have to check all these things out. Yeah. So we're very excited about it. We'll have more new releases next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you want more exclusive stuff from me and Whitney, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we have a lot of exclusive programming over there. We're about to start a new series. Step me up, step me down. <laughs> We're reviewing every single film and episode in the Step Up franchise, of which there is more than maybe you realize. Uh, we also have our show, Only the Best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, we have all our yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order. We do commentary tracks. We do uh, online hangouts. We do trivia nights with our patrons. It's a lot of fun, and it means the world to us, to everyone who subscribes on the Patreon. Thank you. You keep this show afloat. It means 
everything to us. We wouldn't be here without you. Just We just wouldn't. Um, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, we'd love to hear from you. That'd be super cool. Uh, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm-hmm. Or if you would prefer, you can send us an actual physical letter on paper or parchment. Whitney, what is our what is our P.O. box? <laughs> you can wire us a letter. Uh, actually, I don't think we can accept Telegraph. No, I don't, I don't um, think Telegraph exists anymore, actually. It, or Telegram, sorry. Telegram. I, I had heard somewhere that like the last Telegram had been sent. Ah, uh, like, that's so They don't do that anymore. We don't do Telegram. But yeah, if you want to mail us a letter, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, it'll be really, really cool if you did. We love it every single mm. time. Uh, and of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And until next time, never forget, everyone is a critic. I'm sorry, what?